Do you dream of being CEO of your own empire, running your own company, achieving your life's goals, yet wake up in a cold sweat next to last night's takeout leftovers and a pile of bus ticket stubs? You are not alone. Like many others, you are suffering from a classic case of caviar dreams, tuna fish budget. I'm Margaret Josephs. And I'm Lexi Barbuto. And every week, we'll be talking to influencers, trailblazers, disruptors, and risk takers who'll share their own journey to caviar dreams on a tuna fish budget. Side effects may include increased motivation, boundless happiness, and a fast track to success. Hello, caviar dreamers. Hi, caviar dreamers. It's Margaret Josephs. And Lexi Barbuto. So excited that you're on our first podcast listening to us from New York. Here we are. And can I tell you, I am so excited to take this journey. We are going to have such amazing guests every week. Of course, this week I'm going to be talking to you, Margaret. Yes, I'll be filling you guys in more about the Marge, how I started my business, because there's a lot of things you guys don't know, and how I lived my caviar dreams starting on my tuna fish budget. But after that, we're going to have some other fabulous guests. So every week, we're going to be having someone come into the studio, someone who is, to quote your famous line, not from the Lucky Sperm Club, Mm -hmm. that has realized their personal caviar dream on whatever that tuna fish budget may be. And I just want to put it out that caviar dreams is not a monetary thing necessarily. No, caviar dreams is about how you want to live your best life. What puts a smile on your face every day? What is your big dream? What did you want to do when you grow up? And what actually brought you your dreams and how you got there? And a tuna fish budget, again, doesn't mean that you only have a few dimes in your purse. It can be anything that challenges your caviar dream, whether it's a lack of time, whether it's, you know, toxic relationships standing in the way, whether it's, um, you know, a lack of funding, whatever it is, that tuna fish budget stands in your way. Exactly. So we're going to have on influencers, disruptors, leaders, CEO, people True entrepreneurs, the spirit of entrepreneurship. That's what this podcast is going to be about. We're going to have on Brian Kelly, the points guy. We're going to have on Gary Gennetti. I didn't ask him yet, but he's totally coming on because we are (laughs) friends. He is now. He is now. Gary, you hear that? So you're going to learn how people that you're familiar with turned their passion into profit or created an industry from an idea. It's going to be a really fun and interesting journey. So I can't wait to share this with everyone. Yeah, super excited. So let's get going. It's nice to see you, Margaret Josephs. Well, Lexi, so good to see you. Like I don't see you every single morning. (laughs) Yes, I, I greeted you like I haven't spent most of the morning with you and had 27 phone calls before I even left the house this morning. Exactly. And obviously, I know you very well. Um, I've known you for 11 years. And like much of America, they know you from the show Real Housewives of New Jersey. And people feel like they know you really, really well. And obviously, they can see every week how you've realized your caviar dreams. But they really don't know your journey and the tuna fish budget that you started with and how you're going to get there. So let's delve into a little bit. How did you start your journey in life? Like, what was Little Marge wearing her pigtails? Little Marge. You know, obviously, we all knew was birthed by Marge Sr., you know, crazy Marge Sr. But I always, I think, was quite a unique child. And I grew up with a single mother, like everybody knows, by Marge Sr. I never really knew my father. She left my father when I was a year and a half old. And Marge Singer and I, you know, really raised by wolves, ran the streets. And I always was a dreamer, I will say. That's uh, always a dreamer. Always dreamed of a fun life. I lived a, a fantasy little life. I never knew that I was different than any other child that had two parents. And Marge Singer fulfilled those fantasies. Anything I wanted to do. I was always dressed in a costume. Um, My birthday parties were always crazy and over the top. She never told me I could not be anything I wanted to be. Growing up, I wanted to be a farmer. Really? Yes. I can't imagine the Marge in her little uh, hunter boots plowing the fields. Yes. You know what? I think it was more about wearing the overalls. I thought I I looked really super cute in overalls. And we all know I did wear pigtails. But Marge Singer was like, that's great. She didn't put down anything that I wanted to do. 
I love that. I love that about Marginia. She let you realize your dreams. But growing up with Marginia wasn't so conventional either. It wasn't like she was dropping you off at school every day on time with your homework done necessarily. No, no. I basically had to raise myself when it came to that with Marge Senior. But I always knew that I was growing up in a small town and I, I had to get out of there. I love Mayapak, New York. I love the friends that I grew up with. But I was like, there has to be something bigger for me than a small town USA. And it was all about fashion and fabulosity. I had the really big hair. I had, you know, I would wear the crazy eyeliner. And I always wanted to go to FIT. And I wanted to be in the fashion industry. And I graduated high school in 1985. Yes, I'm that freaking old. <laughs> but you don't look it, so that's what you, oh, Well, you know, had a little plastic surgery. Nothing that a nip and a tuck can't fix. Amen to that. Yes. And I went to FIT. I moved into New York City. And all my dreams started to be fulfilled. I was like, this is great. I'm going to work in the fashion industry. I'm going to work for a major designer. I'm going to be super successful. And that's what I wanted to do. But guess what? Everybody doesn't become Ralph Lauren or Calvin Klein at the time or Donna Cameron. Those were the really big designers when I was there. I used to see Marc Jacobs on the bank line when he stood behind me at Chase. I love it. Yeah, and I was like, who's this cute guy? Listen, everybody starts somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere. And I went to work in 1400 Broadway for this company called Break and Lose for this guy, Donald Schwartz. And at that time, it was like an insane place to be, the garment district Yes, and it was total sexual harassment. I thought nothing of it. No, there was no Me Too time. There was no Me Too time is up. I was called, you know, if they got mad at you, they called you a blonde bimbo. Everybody in the office was called you whore if you did something wrong. That was acceptable. It should not be acceptable. No, absolutely not. Thank God so much has changed. Yeah, thank God so much has changed. It was it was absolute insanity. But it was part of my learning journey and knowing that I did not want that life for myself. Absolutely. And I'm sure that was really, really character building. It was very character building. And I, and I learned how to get tough. Absolutely. And that's didn't I didn't want to tolerate that. But that's where I met one my the first love of my life, Jan Josephs. He was a lace and embroidery salesman. I love that. Jan Josephs came a calling with Jan, his glamorous lace. Yes, came a calling and swept me off my feet. And I moved in with him when I was twenty four years old. He had full custody of his three children. Okay, that's a lot for a 24-year-old girl to leave a career that's just starting. You Mm -hmm. know, you've only just started your big career in fashion with all those hopes and dreams, and now you're moving in to take care of three children at 24 years old. Yes, yes. And granted, we did have full-time help. I moved to Tenafly, New Jersey, and I was like, you know what? This guy's going to be, he's a great father. That was what was important to me. The kids were fabulous. It was a little girl and two boys, 8, 14, and 16. I made 24 years old. And I was like, this is, this is my life. This is what I want. I want to have great kids. I want to be married to a great guy and just have this amazing life. But it was important for me to work. So I continued working in the Garmin Center until I got married. Beautiful wedding. Immediately got pregnant. Yes, I do have my own child. People don't realize that. Um, I'm not going to say any names because my children want to remain private. Of course. Yes. And I became a stay-at-home mom. I went back to work for a little while, and then I was like, you know what? I want to stay home with my my kids. I, Jan was very generous, you know, always with everything. He was like, stay home. I had I had a nanny. I had a cleaning lady. But I always felt I needed more. Of course. Now, also, this week... Um, and last week on Housewives, we did see um, you and Jennifer get into it a little bit. And there was a discussion about Jennifer and her poster child behavior for stay-at-home moms. And there's been a little controversy surrounding this on social media. And I think this is an amazing time for you to clarify exactly that situation. Because I know you so well. I know that you have the utmost respect for working moms. I mean, I'm able to bring Nino to work with me. He's 16 months. And quite a handful, but you're so gracious to allow me to be a mom, spend time with my son and get the job done, you know, any which way it has to get done. So I just want to give you the opportunity to really speak to that conversation because I think it was grossly misconstrued on social media. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I wasn't insulting all stay-at-home mothers. I insulted one stay-at-home mother. And I think that was not saying that stay-at-home mom is not a hard job. I did it. It's a very, very hard job. But 
being in the position that myself and Jennifer are in is having the luxury of having help. And I cannot compare that to every stay-at-home mom that does it all by themselves and hustles and works hard for their family and really is the CEO of their family by themselves. Jennifer and I have had the luxury of having a staff, and it's true. And I felt like it's not as hard work. And, it, and I didn't consider it work. I considered it a privilege to stay home and raise my family with a staff. I did. I considered it a privilege Absolutely. that I had that. And that was my point, in, you know, my case in point. But that being said, you know, after staying home for a little while, I needed my cre- creative juices started flowing. My identity was more than just being a wife, a mom. For me, it was just my personal choice. And I said, I have to do something creative. I enjoy having my own money. That's growing up with Marge Singer. I just did not want to be dependent. Anything could happen at any given moment in my head. And yeah. so I said, let me just start my own business. Something little to keep myself busy. So I started at the kitchen table. Wow. Some idea. And I said, there's no stylish storage solutions. And I had toys all over and things everywhere. Sounds like my house now. And at the time, everything was very um, shabby chic. There was a great company called Shabby Chic. It's still in business. And everything was very floral and fun. And I said, let me do something, take something utilitarian and make it really fabulous. So I took these metal buckets and I basically decoupaged them with the housekeeper and one and a friend at the time. And and we took them to a local store and a child store and they sold out in like 2 days and they're like, "Oh my god, you have to make more." And I was like, "I think we have a business here." And just to elaborate for those of you who might not know what a decoupage is, you literally went to Home Depot but galvanized silver, metal buckets and yes. tins mm-hmm. and basically mm-hmm. wrapped them in fun prints, patterns and designs, vintage wallpapers Yes, and took those to a store mm. and sold them. So this is literally you at your kitchen table yes. with Home Depot buckets. Wallpaper DIY. paste. Yes. I, I mean, I love this. I literally love this. And no nails were harmed. No manicures were ruined. No, in no, no the manicures buckets. were ruined. Oof. And we did, I wore rubber gloves. Thank God. And we did it, and it was great. But I immediately, with my delusion, my delusional state, I'm like, I'm starting to think big. I immediately started to think big. I always had a big picture in my mind. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to just go sell local stores, which I did. But I put my name on the New York Gift Show, which is at the Javits Center. Yeah, that's huge. That has, like, multiple levels. It has thousands and thousands of booths. It gets buyers from everywhere, from, like, the ultimate, you know, all across the world, the ultimate stores that you would want to be in, Saks, Neiman's, you know, as well as all the different boutiques. Exactly. So I was just like, we're never going to get in there. I put my name on the New York gift show, just on the waiting list. There was a huge waiting list at the time. Retail was totally different than it is today, where now if you go in a store, it's dead as doornails. No one's there except me feeling fabrics. Depressing. Very depressing, because I still love to go to the mall. Me side too. But I did that, and my girlfriend and I continued to go selling things to local stores, and things were great. We had our own like cottage industry. We were we had all the um, housekeepers really employed. Our nannies they were making the buckets. I was buying the things at Home Depot. And then boom, all of a sudden the gift show calls and says, "Oh, you're in New York's newest. You'll be appearing there." I was like, "Holy crap! What am I gonna do?" Oh my god! Did you but, shit your pants just a little bit? Shit my pants. But you know what that is? This is where your dream starts to become a reality. And I I always tell people that. If you have a vision, you could do it. So I was like, you know what? You have no choice. You have to show up. We got in the gift show. Get it it together. Get it together. We're going to make a booth. I'm there with like huge companies, the Jonathan Adlers of the world, the Martha Stewart's of this, and there's like little Margaret Joseph's schlepping in, dragging a cart, putting crap in her, her suitcase, had to make Jan pay for the first booth, did it all, and we did that booth. I think we got close to $100,000 worth of orders. Oh, my God. Showed up. We looked adorable. And we were in business. But I was like, now what the hell am I going to do? How am I going to ship these orders? How am I going to finance it? And we figured it out, my partner and I at the time. And my ex-husband helped put us in business, Jan. And it really just took off from there. But we made tons of mistakes. We had to figure it out. We were designing our own prints. 
we moved to our Jan's building in West New York, New Jersey. And it really took off. Everything was made in the USA. We branched out from buckets. They said flip-flops. We were selling in the Hamptons. You could get it. We were the first people really doing a lot of monogramming, making it custom. So this one leap of faith on the gift show, which then resulted in a tremendous amount of orders, Mm -hmm. you know, Something like that can either make you or break you. You could panic and just be like, I jumped too soon. I don't know how I'm going to fill these orders. I don't know how I'm going to finance this. Or you could look for opportunities. And at that time, Jan's business was lace and embroidery, which was, you know, shifting overseas. So he had a facility that you could turn into your warehouse, right? Yes. We moved into Jan's building. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to help you grow this business. Him, my brother-in-law, my father-in-law, RIP, Bernie Josephs. He was the greatest man ever. And we're like, all right, our family is going to do this business together. And at the gift show is how I met you. I know. Isn't that crazy? So 11 years ago. I was there actually working for somebody else. I just arrived in New York, suitcases in hand and a dream in my heart. And I... (laughs) Yes, you had your American dreams of meeting... My American caviar dreams. Yes. And I was introduced to you by Polly, Polly Wilson. Polly Wilson, if everybody can remember, we saw her on the show. She had her ranch. And at the time, she had a fabulous company called Bond Dandies, Mm -hmm. which was all like vintage Western teepees and TV trays and like cute prints. And she introduced me to you and said, I need you to meet Margaret. You're going to love her. And I think that you two will just hit it off in an instant. And you said to me, listen, I do need you. I have a show coming up at Grand Central Station. Could you work for me? And I said, sure, sure. Here's my phone number. And, you know, it was one of those things where you're like, oh, I just met this woman. She's fabulous. She has blonde hair, white blonde hair, giant eyelashes, like a cute little boobs, a little buxom figure and high heels, you know, in New York, in a sea of people wearing black, here was this blonde, shining figure in pigtails. And I remember thinking, all right, yeah, sure, she'll call me, whatever, whatever. But I remember explicitly the day you called me. I was walking down Park Avenue. It was a sunny day. I probably had nothing to do because I'd just moved here. And I had a lot of dreams and a lot of hopes, but actually a whole lot of nothing to do every day. And you called me, and that was it. I did the show at Grand Central for you. I came to the office and I just never left. I know. It was perfect. I felt like I found my soulmate sister. You and I are both only children. That's right. We met. I was like, you are my sister from another mister from overseas. I mean, I love it. Yes. Even though some people think I'm your mother before I got my facelift. (laughs) (laughs) And we were meant to be together. And you have been my shining star. Help me grow my business. You might be the real Margaret Josephs with your hand up my ass because I can't live without you. And that's really, we've been together ever since. And you've watched the growth of the business. But you know as well as I do, we have had amazing highs and some lows, but we have done it together. Absolutely. I mean, I think that people see now on the show, especially because that's a, a, you know, and through Instagram, that's an amazing way for people to get a look into your life. But they see the glamour, they see the products on the shelves of like everywhere from Bloomingdale's to TJ Maxx to even, you know, you have the line candy couture that's at Walmart. People see these products and they don't realize that there were times that you were, you know, in the factory till one in the morning trying to print catalogs and make people's orders, you know, I know you've driven buckets to bar mitzvahs when people were complaining and their order didn't get made oh, on time. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, we've done business with, you know, the the Kathy Steinbergs of the world to Dylan's Candy Bar. We are on Oprah's Favorite Things. We've had tons of press. So when you and I, this is really how the business grew. In 2009, we were at our booth at the Javits Center. A licensing agent came to us, the lovely Jonathan Brighter, and he said, all the big retailers want you. You guys should be licensing out your brand. And everyone's like, I was like, what's that? And so for those of you who don't know, because I get so many questions, you guys write to me on Instagram. I've tried to explain it on the show. And licensing is you do not manufacture your product anymore. We have a brand. It's Macbeth Collection by Margaret Josephs. You sign a contract with companies who make different products, who actually sell and distribute the different products with your name on it. You approve the products. You are involved in the design. It looks like your brand. It is your image. You stay on brand. But the stores buy it because they want your brand in the stores. But 
There's no possible way that Margaret Josephs herself could be making jewelry, pet supplies, tech accessories, cosmetic bags, beauty, everything without tremendous, tremendous amounts of cash flow and taking that risk. So for that privilege, you only make a smaller percentage, what is called a royalty. Just like Michael Jordan's name is on Nikes. We all know he's not making the Nikes. They're using his name and he's getting a small percentage. That is called licensing. Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. And I'll never forget the first time someone introduced us to the concept of licensing. We were selling Neiman's. We were selling sex. We were doing the private label for Dylan's. We were doing private label for Serena and Lily, Shabby Chic. We were doing for everybody. And they were like, you girls could really grow your business with licensing. And we were like, who cares? We sell to stores in the Hamptons. Our buckets are $100. We're killing it. We're great. What fools we were. We were so ridiculous. I was the snobby bitch. I only wanted to sell these fancy stores. Little did I know, it is much more important to sell the large retailers, the mass, because the truth is that is where everybody shops. Absolutely. And it's not important to be exclusive. The majority of people should be able to buy your products. And, you know, there was a line that someone had said to me, make for the masses, eat with the classes. That's right. And everybody should be able to afford our product and have great style. Listen, and I challenge you all to find me one woman that isn't in a TJ Maxx, Marshalls, or Home Goods on a weekly basis. I mean, I don't care if you're a billionaire or, you know, you're waiting for the bus. You're definitely carrying a Marshalls, TJ Maxx, or Home Goods bag. It's just, it's available to everyone and they have the greatest stuff. So I agree. I mean, listen, or Burlington or a Ross. Absolutely. Our jewelry is in Burlington. It is blowing off the shelves. It looks great. But with that being said, in 2009, a licensing agent came to us and I was like, all right, I'll try it. I'll try it. Well, that changed our life. It did. We put together a brand deck and we got our first deal and we started doing home storage with our our prints because we always designed our own prints, kitchen textiles and accessories, and it really blew up. And then immediately we went into fashion tech accessories in 2010, I believe the end of 2010, and it it was... unbelievable. It was groundbreaking. We got into Walmart. We were the first people in fashion tech. We were doing $10 million a year. Now, I was not making $10 million a year, people. I just want you to know that. I was getting a small percentage of that. But a small percentage of $10 million is still a lot of money, FYI. Now, I think I just want to readdress that because I think this is a very important statement that we need to say again. Macbeth Collection by Margaret Josephs was the first girly tech brand. So when you see now, you see everyone has a fabulous phone case. When you licensed out tech Mm -hmm. at that time. That's 11 years ago. That was nothing. It was a sea of black and gray phones um, that there was nothing at all that spoke to a woman that, you know, took her fancy. So we showed up at CES, which is the big consumer electronics show. In Las Vegas, yes. Again, a sea of black and gray. And men, we really, I mean, if we don't stand out anywhere, there we really stood out. We looked ridiculous. Blonde, we, blonde, uh, blonde bucks and bombshells and a sea of uh, black iPhone cases and men, yes. I mean, we really were. We could have looked like the hired uh, entertainment for that show in our high heels with our lashes. But that's I'm another thing. It. We don't compromise who we are to sell product. You like it, you want it, you buy it. And the cases that you had at that time, gumball, dots in bright colors, uh, zebras, florals, that was really groundbreaking at that time. There was nothing like that. I know. And that's why we took the industry by storm. The problem is everybody else started catching on very quickly and knocked us off, which Happens, you know, it happens all day long. It happens in fashion. It happens everywhere. We we kept moving, but we we had an amazing run. I mean, we were killing it. I was in St. Bart's. I was traveling all over. I met the real Super Joe. <laughs> That's right. That so- also was a way I was living one of my, my caviar dreams. Unfortunately, as my company started to take off, my marriage to Jan was going down the tubes. That's really tough. And I think that that's something that a lot of women face because juggling your whole life is really hard. Juggling your marriage, juggling your relationship. I mean, at this point, when you have a company this big, you are married to your Mm -hmm. brand. And especially working together with Jen as well, that's so hard when you don't always share the same vision for where your company is going to go. So tell me a little bit about 
how you met Joe and, you know, how you guys transitioned into America's Sweethearts. Yes, yes, yes. I always had the most amazing, beautiful synergy in my family. My in-laws were magnificent. My children, godsends, love, love, love them. And we all had family dinners on Sunday nights. But there was always a tumult with Jan and I. For what, We have different personalities. He's a great person. I, you know, I feel like I'm fun-loving. We're both great parents. We weren't a great couple. So as the business started to grow, you know, there was always stress if, you know, something was going wrong, but then the business was growing. We have different personality types. I'm a big risk taker. He's risk adverse, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to say the least. And we just weren't on the same page anymore. My three older children were up out of the house. They were grown adults, had their own lives, lived alone. My son was still at home. We'd had his bar mitzvah ready. And we were starting to renovate our house. And, and I had known Joan for, Joe for years, excuse me, and from just friends. And we'd see each other at parties. Not, you know, never really spoke that deeply. And he had come to do work on our house. And we really became good friends. It was no, like, instant, like, oh, my God, I'm into him. I love him. Da-da. This went on for a long time. Just, like, good friends, conversation, talking about deep life discussion. We really became best friends before we became lovers or anything like that. And I realized I was at a very pivotal point in my life. Am I going to continue my life with a marriage that has we both outgrown or am I going to be with the love of my life? I really am madly in love with this guy and, and, and be with him. And I really decided then it was time to leave Jan. Am I, am I happy? I wound up, you know, it turned out that I wound up having an affair no, looking back on it, I wish I could have done things differently, but that's just not the way it, it happened. It, it just, it happened this way, and Joe and I were meant to be together. And that's something I really love about you, your honesty, your upfrontness, you're willing <clears throat> to make any situation work, no matter how it falls, no matter what happens. I really remember at that time, you basically saying, this is how it's going to be. We're going to continue to have a good family. Jen and I will still have a good relationship, which you do to this yes, day. Yes, we do. Joe and I will move in together. The business will continue, and everything is going to be okay. And that takes a lot of balls. I agree. And I and I want to encourage people, and part of this, and I just, anybody who's listening, life is short. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And the most important thing in life, I realize, is to be happy. And that's not about making a ton of money. Um, it is not about what someone else has and material things. It's about waking up every day with a smile on your face. And I was having great success in my business, but I was not having personal happiness. And it just was not working for me. And I was not waking up with a smile on my face, and I was doing a lot of crying. And if I'm doing a lot of crying, Jan was doing a lot of crying. We just were not in a happy place. So I just want to encourage everybody to live their best life. I'm not saying leave your family or anything you know, like that or leave your husband. I'm saying if it's working on your marriage, work on your marriage. If it's working on your business, work on your business. If it's healing relationships and mending fences, do that. It's about having personal happiness and being happy. Because any day, anything can happen. Life can change on a dime. And you have to be able to pivot and make yourself happy. And I wake up every day with a smile on my face. And, and that's really what it's about. And, and listen, I had a lot more money years ago. I've had lawsuits, which we all know about. But I am truly have inner peace. And, and I think that's what was important to me. So, yeah, I moved. I, I moved out. I, Joe and I got an amazing house a few blocks away from Jan. And my business was booming. Great, great, great. Fabulous. Everything was sick until one boom. of my, Boom. One of my licensees, what I was making clothing and beach bags and a whale. The whale. The whale. The whale. The goddamn whale. The whale. And we didn't say it was, I didn't want to say the name, the double Vs. We all know who. That's the vines, right. the vineyard vines. Yeah. They, um, they sent a cease and desist. Everybody had. I didn't Everybody use their logo. A it you wasn't were, their you logo. Were not pretending to be Vineyard Vines. Let's I wasn't just pretending make that clear. to be Vineyard Vines. It you was had... my licensee. Again, I don't make my own product. 
we were doing things with anchors. We were doing things with sea turtles. We were doing things with sea ponies. Oh. It was just an icon that was on it. And they One said, of many icons on your line, whether it said flip-flops or whether there was um, a little Labrador that said dog toys. It was, you know, there were many icons on your line. This was just one. One. And they sent a cease and desist to myself and the licensee. And I, we immediately stopped, immediately stopped. Yeah. But the issue was we got a ton of press. Yes. And my partner at the time was not properly insured. Jan was very put out of the business. And I, I was held to the brunt of it. And I think that's also a problem, you know. That's something that you've been really good at all through your history mm-hmm. of your brand at Beth Collection is looking bigger than you are, yes. having a bigger appearance. And that helps you on social media. It helps you in interviews. It helps you with Yes, press. our it business seems so huge because I was making so many products. Again, it was licensed. It was licensed products. At retail level, we were doing a tremendous amount of business. I get a smaller percentage of it. Yes, my business was doing great. We were in so many stores. We were in Col- We were in every upscale boutique, but we were also in Kohl's. We were in Target. We were in Walmart. We were in TJ Maxx. But I wasn't doing, you know, the fifty million, the sixty million. I was doing, you know, that's at retail. Then there's the wholesale. Then you're getting a percentage of the wholesale. It's I appeared so big that they thought, you know, I mean, they we're come entitled. for you guns a-blazing. They came for me guns a-blazing. I, I did feel very bullied. I didn't hire the, they were suing me in Connecticut. I didn't hire the biggest attorney. But you know what? We worked it out. It was dragged out. Um, it was unfortunate. But I will say one thing. I put on my big girl panties, which That's everybody right. has to do in business. And sometimes, even if you're right, it's not always the best idea to go to trial. Yes. Because you will be bled with attorney's fees. That's a lesson I learned. That's a takeaway. Sometimes it's it's just cheaper to settle. You have to cut your losses and move on. Because anything that takes you away from growing your business and being happy is not worth it. It's only money, people. You could always make more money. I know that sounds painful. It was hard. It was a hard pill for me to swallow. But... You can always make more money. You could figure it out. If you made money once, you could always make it again. And I think the amazing thing here is, again, that's all done now. It's all over. Mm -hmm. It's settled. It's done. And you've obviously learned amazing life lessons from this. Yes. This takes me again to, like, how I feel, you know, you truly are so honest. And obviously your lawsuits have more press because being on Housewives has obviously you know, brought more attention to you from the world. You know, that was another brave decision of yours. Like, what what made you decide to do Housewives at this point in your career? You have a great brand. You were having lawsuits at the time. You know, it, what made you make that decision? I went on Housewives. They had asked me in season six. And Joe and I were slated to do our own show. I did always want to do TV. I always thought... It would be fun. It would be great for business. And in season six, we were contracted to another production company to do a different show. And Housewives had called. I did I did do the tape. I was like, oh, I'll just do the tape anyway. Well, they called me. Lucilla D'Agostino called me. She'll say it. She was the one doing Housewives then. And she was said, let's, um, you know, Bravo loves you. Let's, we would love to have you. And I said, I can't, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. And she tried, they even tried to call to get me out of my contract with the other show, and I couldn't do it. So when they had come back around for season eight, they said, you know Siggy? I said, of course, I I know her. We lived in the same town. We were not good friends. We were more acquaintances. And they came, and within two weeks, they were like, you're you're signed, sealed, and delivered. And And it was the timing. Timing is everything in life, people. Timing was right for the Marge to, to go on TV. My son was away at college, and everybody, you know, my divorce was locked and loaded. I was just uh, moved into the house I am currently in. No, I have not lived there for years in a shit show. That was a, a project, a labor of love, FYI. And yes, <laughs> buying that, you know, hundred and something year old house, 
you did not expect to immediately have it full of cameras following your every move. No. Hence why renovations have just begun, people. Newsflash. Yeah, newsflash. That's a side note. But anyway, so it, it was perfect timing. And I figured, you know what? I want to go on a show and show that a woman in New Jersey has, you know, she was a housewife for a little while. She started her own business. I thought I led a different dynamic to it. And it was it's an amazing platform. It's great for my philanthropy that I do. It's great for business. And it was just, I was a different idea of family. Jersey was always about family, but I have a different family dynamic. None of my children obviously want to go on it. Joe has two kids. His kids don't want to go on it. Our family dynamic is different. I have Marge Sr. Our, Joe and my marriage is giving people a second chance at life. Right? Absolutely. You, you, everybody has a second chance. My my relationship with you. Oh. You're my family. I feel so you can pick to your be a family. Part of your family. And and I thought it, it, it would just be a great opportunity for people to see that women can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And and that's really what it was. I am more you know, I come from a single mother. I don't think anybody else on the show had come from a single mom. They came from a little bit more traditional families. And it was it was more about the Italian women, the Italian family. And I and I think it was I it was just the right mix. And I and I love the ladies that I'm with. We all have our own relationships. I mean, granted we fight and things like that, but I it was it was just the right timing. And do you feel like being on the show was a good, you know, like fire for the brand did it like reignite the flames of the brand because brands have a life and they ebb and flow and the retail sector is changing we've had crazy things happen this year between tariffs from china and so the coronavirus oh god don't even get me started you know it's like the world just is throwing us every challenge not to succeed in business these days it is it is um i think the show has been great for business and not good for business mm-hmm because I've, my lawsuits have been inflamed, but it's also been a great platform to people, for people to know about my business. Absolutely. It's the way you deal with it. I've been very blessed because a lot of people have known about my business now. I've been able to launch our jewelry line on the show, and that's taken off like a house on fire, which is great. But also, you have to be very careful of your reputation. I say things. I'm out there. I am extremely opinionated. And before, everybody didn't know all my opinions. Now, of course, I always think I'm right, which maybe I'm not. But in my head, 99.9% of the time, time, I'm always validated by the end. But, you know, you have to walk a fine line. And the, the climate today is everybody doesn't always agree with you. And I, I'm not a people pleaser. No, and I think that's truly what people love about you because in this day and age, it is really hard to be true to yourself, be honest, be self-assured, and have opinions because you're immediately persecuted by everyone, every mistake you make. And I think that we do forget that everyone's human. Everyone is human. This is not a very forgiving world. And I think that's why it was very important. Um, I wanted to go on the show and just show how women in business can be strong you can reinvent yourself. I got on the show when I was 49. I'm now 52. You, It's never too late. Marge Sr. is a great spokesperson for women who have reinvented themselves. The woman's 73. Look at her. She's working in the city. So I think we, as a whole, a collective whole, myself, Marge Sr., you, a working mom, you know, a young working mom. Well, that we you. Not <laughs> so young yes, anymore. That we all could show... That women can do anything they want at any age, and it's we're, we're very inspirational. So that's that's so what is so great for me about the show. Absolutely, and I think the essence. You know, I know you've wanted to do this caviar dreams tuna fish budget concept for a long mm-hmm. time. Yes, you know, in whichever form it may take. You know, obviously we're starting here with this fabulous podcast, and caviar dreams is not. It's not a monetary value. It's not all about. You know being on a yacht and eating a lobster, it's, you know, it's feeling accomplished in the things that you want to get done on a daily basis. Exactly. I always say caviar dreams, tuna fish budget, because I always used to joke about that, Lexi, when we were in business, that I'm like, why am I still putting my booth up? Why am I doing this? Every pitfall I've had, there's never a day I wake up and say, why is this my life? 
I wake up every day. I look at Joe in the bed and I'm smiling, even though I know I might owe my attorney more than I owe my mortgage. Um, and I'm smiling because I have Bella in the bed with me. I've spoken to my son on the phone. I get to see you and baby Nino every day. Caviar Dreams is what do you dream about? What do you want your life to look like? And how do you achieve that happiness? And some people, it's about money and growing their business. Some people, it's about their family dynamic. And I think that's what's so important. And I think people don't realize it's work to live your best life. Absolutely. It's, it's work to have great relationships. It's work to have an amazing business. So I think entrepreneurs, whatever form that is, have that mindset. And there's so many people who want to be entrepreneurs and don't, and don't know how to get it. And I think this was so important for me to do that because, look, half the day you and I work in our pajamas. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do not always look this glamorous. I mean, we, <laughs> we quite often, I mean, I, I love a good pair of Ugg boots. Yes. So, so that's why it was so important. And, and I would love to, and I want to help everybody. There is room for everybody's star to shine. I think women have gotten a bad rap also saying that we want to keep people down. We don't want to share. Women have to be bitchy to be successful. None of that is true. And I think also we grew up, you know, I'm so happy for girls now, like Lindsay, who works with us, like their generation, you know, it's all about women empowerment. It's all about manifesting to the dreams that you want. You know, I know for me and I'm sure for you growing up, it was like, if you want to get something done, you have to practically go and do it. It was all about practicality. You don't dream and make vision boards. It was like, get out there and get it done. You know, people were constantly trying to keep women down that, you know, it wasn't the place that we're in now. And I think it's so good that women have risen up and stood together and said, hey, we got we got each other. Let's do this. We, we can empower each other. Exactly. And I want to, and that's the way I feel you. And you have to be around and pick the right partners in life. Whatever that partner may be, they have to lift you up and be the best support system. If anybody's trying to take you down or, or not be your best self, the person has to enhance you. Don't be with that person. There's just so many life lessons that I've learned that I feel in my 52 years that, that I feel I can share with everybody that can make a change and make a difference. And I think the, the guests that we're going to have on are also like that. And there, it's going to be a great range of age. I mean, we're going to have... Claudia and Jackie O from the Morning Toast on. I mean, they're so young, and look how successful they are. It's fantastic, incredible, and amazing. I cannot wait to have them on the show. I mean, they are unbelievable. They're dynamic, smart, funny, and and I can't wait to hear how they got started and their life and everything. And they and they could teach me so much. And look how young they are. I could have birthed both of them. I know, isn't that amazing? Um, unbelievable. Um, um, we could. I mean, and that's another thing that I think is great. You know, you have no ego in your business. You are happy to take advice and learn from anyone irrelevant of age, where they came from. You really have kept a very open mind as you've grown your business, which I think is hard for some people. They become stuck in their ways. That's something that I very much admire in you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. No, it's important to be willing to learn, um, listen, and to be willing to teach what you have learned to other people. Is the one thing that you think was like the key to your success? The one thing is, I always say this, and I think it's kind of funny, is part delusion, part determination. And I and know what you're not good at. That's more important than knowing what you are good at. I agree. Because knowing what you're not good at, you cannot be good at everything. I completely agree And I, with whatever that. I'm not good at, you are, so it's perfect. <laughs> And then whatever, I'm not good at Lindsay is, so it's fine. Yes, exactly. No, I think that's a major, major thing. No woman or man is an island. It takes a team to get things done. And we've always been lucky to have a great team around us. Yes, and I am not, and I always say I'm nothing without my team. I cannot stomach people who take the credit for everything and don't give credit to their team. Um, that's disgusting. So everybody, just so you know that, no one does everything on their own. It's nonsense. If you have a business, you're only as good as your team, and you, you better be damn good to them because they'll piss me off if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to answer to the march. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, 
obviously we've seen your star rise on Housewives. You're very, very popular. Everyone loves oh, thank you. you. I, thank you. Know, you. Not I, everybody. I get to read Re- the DMs. Read some of my DMs. Yeah, well, I read no, that. A lot of great ones, a lot of great ones. But some people say uh, beautiful ones, and then, you know, I get the nasty ones. Mm-hmm. It really, it baffles me that people waste their time. I think time is the most precious thing we have. It's true. And to waste it being rude to other people when you could be lifting them up is really insane. Insane. But I think... If we went back to like your high school time, do you think people would expect this from you? Would would we ask your class, your graduating class, like, oh, the Marge is on, she's on a TV show, she has an amazing business, she's a designer. Would people like say, of course she is, or they'd be like, no way, that girl? Yeah, um, I'm friends with a lot of my high school friends. I still talk to them. So, of course, they're not surprised. They're, which I, I was always out there and... I write to, they write to me a lot. I see them. I went to all my high school reunions. We still all socialize together. So, so they're not surprised. I'm the same girl that I always was in high school. Like I said, I was always delusional. Um, I always thought, you know, in my head, I was always a dress designer. I, you know, when I went to school, I always had a crazy outfit on. I always was looking at Vogue magazine. Marge Singer had every magazine around us. I was always doing my hair. as like the cover of Vogue. I mean, if it was like Big and teased up. I went to school like that the very next day. So I, I was also voted most sophisticated in my high school. I love that. I know. I was very pissed off that I was not voted most fashionable. Lisa Palin was. I remember she wore a rabbit jacket. I happen to love Lisa Palin still to this day. Um, I was a little jealous about that. Uh, sorry, Lisa. But I'm most sophisticated. Jacket. I'll take all day. I like that a lot. So there's a lot of things that would surprise people about you. Um, one of them that people find so interesting is your lack of drinking. Yes. I do not drink. I admit to any 12-step issues because I'm all about people in recovery and taking responsibility. I never had a drinking problem. You could ask my high school friends. I really didn't drink in high school. I'm a freaking control freak. It's also because, obviously, I did see Marge Sr. sloppy drunk one too many times. And I do not like to see a sloppy drunk. Listen, I'm so happy you don't drink because when I came here, I was a full-down sloppy drunk coming from England. So, uh, you know, being around you has helped me, you know, realize that drinking less is a much better way to live for a girl. It's, And I like to eat my calories. I just want to put that in. We all see that I eat a lot on the show, and I like to eat in general. But but I do need a partnership with, like, Seamless or Grubhub or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, like, constantly eating. But... (laughs) <laughs> it could but, be a throwdown fight. A plate comes flying. Hold on. It, that wasn't my appetizer, was, was it? No, I'm always packing the food up. I'm talking with food in my mouth. I notice when I look back at it, the other girls are never eating it. I'm like eating nonstop. Like, oh, take that to go. But no, uh, in all seriousness, I don't like to see a sloppy drunk. I don't like to feel out of control. And when I did try and drink, I realized it kicked in my migraines. I get horrible, horrible migraines. I'm on migraine medicine as a preventative. Every single night I take Topamax. I cannot um, have a drink or I get a horrible headache. I've tried. I've tried an Aperol spritz because they do taste great. They do. I drank, I tried to drink them in Italy. Joe's like, don't drink it. So, of course, I've ordered them here. I have one. I get a horrible headache. I just, I literally cannot drink. And I think it makes me much more lucid, fast on my feet. I think that's why I have an amazing memory, and well, I'm just funny. going with it. That literally was the next note I had to talk to you about. Um, you literally do remember the name and the face and the details of every single person you meet. Yes, I do. I And I, I really believe it's because I don't drink. I I'm mean, convinced. We... See, we used to see at the gift shows thousands and thousands of people in a day. And someone would walk in and Margo would be like, oh, my God, there's Martha. I haven't seen you for five years. How's your dog Stanley? What happened? Did your son get into college? Oh, I'm so happy he went to college. What, he has a job now? You literally remembered everything about everyone you ever met. It's true. I really do. And I never forget a face. And, and I think it's also because you truly care about people. I care about people. I pay attention. It's very important for me to be present in the moment. I will say one very important thing in business is to really focus on the person you're meeting. Remember the person's name and look them in the eye when you speak to them and and really, you know, remember what they're saying to you and remember takeaways from meeting them. Because when you meet this person, again, the things you remember about them make them super happy. 
And that's important. And you make people feel valid and validated and that you care about them. I hate when I meet someone, they're like, oh, nice to meet you. You met me five fucking times already. What are, oh. you, what are you doing? Oh, yes. That pisses me off. I know a specific culprit for that. No yes. names mentioned. We won't, we won't say who that is. Um, but I do think that's another amazing thing that I've learned from you in business. Oh, thank is you. Is not to, not to judge anyone based on their title or who they are. No. Everyone brings something to the table. Everybody. And something I've, you know, I strongly believe in is that the people that you meet on the way up, if you're not careful, will be the same people you run into on the way down. Yeah, the ass is that you'll be kissing. Absolutely. <laughs> I say the same thing. And I, and I like to treat everybody the same way on an equal playing field. Be it, you know, the people busting the table or the CEO of a company. It's, and I think that really shows, the, and that's the way I judge my other friends also, the way they treat the servers in a restaurant. Um, everybody must remain humble. Yes, absolutely. And if you're not humble, I think that's really a thorn in my side. If you think you're better than someone... Because I don't feel I'm better than anybody. I don't want anyone to feel they're better than me. People have uh, accused me of being condescending. I am condescending when you're a cocky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, and you deserve it. Yes. But I think that's something so important. Again, going back to the caviar dreams concept is that, you know, everyone's dreams are valid. And I think that's something so important. We're going to meet so many incredible people with such a wide variety of dreams as we do this fabulous podcast journey that no one's dream is greater than another. Whether you want to be the CEO or just, you know, be able to bake an amazing cookie. Like, who cares what your dream is? If you want to realize it, it's great to help yourself get there and work on yourself to get there. And that's something that people are so into doing right now. Yes, and I think this is, it's inspirational. And we're here to like inspire people not to cut them down. And there's so many great, you know, informational podcasts out there about what's going on in pop culture and all of those things. But this is more like fun in a comedic way to inspire people, live your dreams. You know, a lot of people are on a tuna fish budget, margin included. You know what? I try and be on a budget all the time because you know what? I'm a decadent spender. I, like I said, I owe my lawyer more than I owe my mortgage at this point. And no matter how much money you make, no one wants to freaking piss it away. No, absolutely. I don't care if there's a billion dollars in the bank. If there's a cheaper way to do something that's just as good, why not? Exactly. Why not? With that money that's left over, you could do something amazing and philanthropic. I agree. So I think we're going to have an amazing journey here. I'm so excited to be taking it with you, Lexi. Oh, thank you. And I can't wait to meet all the Caviar Dreamers. And you guys will be writing into us great questions. Yes, we're going to take questions on Instagram. So I think if you guys look on a Wednesday, uh, we're going to be airing on a Wednesday. Hello. So if you look on a Monday, we're going to do some Instagram stories where you could send in your questions to us and we could answer those for you every week. Okay. So goodbye for now, Caviar Dreamers. <laughs>